that neither death nor life nor angels nor the principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord which is in Christ Jesus our Lord which is in Christ Jesus our Father, as we come now to open your word, we ask to uh, be able to just draw in, to focus through your Holy Spirit, Lord, speak to us hearts and, and cause us, Lord, to uh, rest stronger in you, draw closer to you, walk for you in a way that glorifies your name. Again, we've come this morning to worship you, to say thank you, and thank you that you've given us your word that we can open it together, and to grow together through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, again, I want to take a particular focus on, on one uh, verse there this, uh, this morning, but uh, reading all of the verses together first. So, uh, 13, Romans 13, chapter, or chapter 13, verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God, therefore... Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, and respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Not an easy thing when you look at things from just a, a day-to-day point of view and you, you, know, you think about, uh, even in our culture, uh, we are a very, I didn't get to this or even say it last week, how blessed we really are to live where we are. Uh, I know that some of you have been out of the, the, the country, uh, in some cases possibly to areas that Uh, live under constant threat or are in constant threat, where Christians are in constant threat. Uh, I'm thinking of the upheaval in Egypt on the news, Uh, uh, churches being burned and all these types of things going on and the chaos that's happening there and in the Middle East. And it seems, you know, as long as I can remember the chaos in the Middle East, and then I realize... You guys, no matter what time of history you want to go to, there's been, it's, it's been this, seems to be the focal point of, of, of things going on, and it will be that way to the end of time. And so we could turn around and say, you know, we've, we're aware of governments and leaders who have been uh, terrible, who have been atrocious. The scripture is not speaking in, in the sense of, of, of having to be obedient, for instance, to Nero when he tells you you have to give up Christ. 
At that point, you stand before him and you say, no, I, I, I have to stand right. In fact, I talked about John and Peter uh, standing before the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem where the leaders of the land, God, again, is, he has allowed them to be in the position they're in. They said, no more preaching of Christ. They said, at this point, here's what God's word says. I must stand there. And then notice that they actually said, do what you must do. This is what we must do. And so there may be a time where we, are, we were called to, to stand because of, of, of our faith against what the government is doing. But in general, Paul is making a, a statement that's saying, as much as it's possible, earlier verses, as much as it's possible up to you, be at peace with your surroundings. Be at peace with what's going on around you. And recognize that the government is, in, in, unless the government does something that is across the, the path of, of Christ, that, that crosses that path or forces you to take a, a direction that you can't take because you're in Christ, then you're, you're required to be obedient to the government, to the law of the land. And as much as we hate to pay taxes, as much as we, we hate to do other things possibly, the reality is, is that we're called to be obedient in those things and to do so with an attitude of thanksgiving, actually, in, in the sense that God has provided for us and, and all the things that go with that. So keep that in mind as we go through that because Paul touches on something in the middle of this that is really quite interesting because he says, you know, not only because we fear the government should we be, you know, you know, fear their ability to 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 uh, judge us or or, or bring a, a a judgment against us uh, if we do wrong. That, that's that we should, you know, that's to fear their wrath, so to speak. And again, I just use the simple picture driving down the freeway, and I used that last week, and 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 the possibility of of, of the highway patrolman. Uh, as he comes up behind you with his lights going, quick look at the speedometer, whatever. Uh, the, you know, he has, they have the power to enforce the law. And if we break the law, they have the power to do whatever is appropriate to make, uh, cause us to, in a sense, pay the punishment or do, you know, the, uh, to account for that. And so there is that sense of respect that comes from, I guess you would say, fear. But he says, even more than that, for the sake of conscience, this is where I really want to focus, for the sake of conscience, because this is where it gets internalized. We don't do it just because the fear of, the, of, of their ability to, to, you know, to uh, punish for broken law. We keep the law for the sake of conscience. We respect our government. We, 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 we honor those who are to, that God has put into power and authority for the sake of conscience. And I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, be in subjection to the government authorities for the sake of conscience. And have you ever thought about your, your conscience? Do you, do, you, do you ever think about what it is, where it comes from, or you know, all the things that go with it uh, as, as, as a word? I, I remember going clear back into uh, elementary school and we had the conscience as, as, as a spelling word. Now, I am a, a terrible speller. I, uh, you know, and, and conscience is not one of those words that is easy to spell. But I had learned how to spell science. And I just always think conscience, and that's the only reason I can remember how to spell this word. Yeah, it, it's it, it, that's it. And and by the way, conscience, con, and and again, one of those things. I don't know how much they do this anymore, but it, you, we used to have to learn Latin roots and Greek roots and stuff. Con is the, is the Latin word for with, and science is the Latin word with for knowledge. So with knowledge, so. I am to, for the sake of my understanding, with knowledge that, that I have with, from internal things, who God is, what God says, for the sake of thy conscience, I am to be obedient to the authorities and, and, and to be in subjection to them. So 
I decided to, you know, take a look at this, uh, not just from the, 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 the roots of the word, but even going into the, to doing some word study in the Greek because of, of, the, of the word. It's not the same word as the Latin word we use today. Um, and I, I thought, well, what has Paul already said about conscience for us here in Romans? And if we go back to chapter 2, verse 15, he says that our conscience is, is there. Everybody has one, first off. And it stands there and either excuses us or accuses us in the sense of what we're doing. So the idea to excuse us is to uh, make a defense. The word apologetics or, uh, is tied to that uh, word. Uh, so to excuse us is make a defense or to accuse us, to charge us with an offense. Okay, so that's what our conscience is basically there to do, is to either to, uh, uh, to excuse us, to make a defense, and say, you know, you're, you're standing in the right place, or to accuse us. And it's something that's internalized. It happens in here. It's not something that, you know, it, it's, it's a part of who we are. You could say it's, you know, uh, this word, uh, the, the Greek word that's used for this, is used to translate the, 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 the Old Testament into the Greek language, frequently going to the word heart, the, the, the very depth of who we are, the, the inner part of who we are, is part of where our conscience is involved. And so our conscience is based on, on knowledge, and I'm thinking, okay, knowledge of what? Well, knowledge of right and wrong. If it's there to accuse or to defend, uh, then, uh, then it has to be based on an understanding of right and wrong. My conscience judges me according to my understanding of right and wrong. Therefore, just for the sake of argument, is it possible that we might be at odds in our conscience? Any, any one of us could be at odds from my perspective, but possibly on a particular thing that's right and wrong and your perspective on a thing, particular thing that's right and wrong? And the answer is yes. So, I think in terms of, like, when we're trying to develop the idea of right and wrong, we're trying to develop, oh, let's go to our children. We're trying to develop our children's conscience of right and wrong. And we want to do more than just have it to be the fear of our authority. It's certainly where it starts. My... my my children don't understand the right and wrong from the beginning, but you, you're, there's a part of you that wants them to, to get to the point where they feel it. You know? and so we want to instill into them some set of values that corresponds with our rights and the way we see right and wrong. And so we look for a source for a value system. Uh, what we're going to put, if you will, you've heard me use this term many times, what's going to be on my belief window in reference to what's right and wrong? Because that's going to, whatever's on my belief window is how I'm going to ultimately act. And so, where do I get these from? And I was thinking even from a, a study that I, I, I do frequently uh, with, with people is uh, uh, a deal de dealing with uh, uh, how to work in, 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 in your environment and to have uh, peace on in, in, in a day-to-day -day basis. And one of the things is to look at our belief window. And uh, where do these things come from? Well, it comes from family first. Uh, and... I have to say, you can, you can. <laughs> I, I, I'll use myself as an example at this, at this point, um, and this is to not be a reflection on my mom, other than the times that we were in, because she was a single mom, and at a time when single moms were not very common. Number one, number two, uh, uh, she had her hands full, to say the least, with me, and. I was just out of, uh, because of a couple of things that did happen, I'm, I'm, a, I'm the kid that was out of control. I basically came to a conclusion 
that no one was going to control me. I was going to be in charge. I was definitely one of those kids that if you did get me to sit down on command, there was the, the, the little kid inside saying, but I'm standing up on the inside. And somehow figured out how this was my idea. I'll sit, but only because I want to. And uh, my behavior was out of control all the way through uh, my, my uh, freshman year in high school to the point where I was in trouble at school. I was in trouble at, uh, uh, I was in trouble with the law for that matter. Um, and I have to tell you, I justified everything that I did. I did not feel convicted that I was doing anything evil, wicked, or wrong. I was just doing what I needed to do for me. And I just didn't have much. You probably, someone would say, boy, he's, he's pretty weak in the area of conscience. No, I had a conscience. It just was had a whole different set of values and standards. I was the person whose the parents would say, no, you're not allowed to hang around with him. Because they, I, would, I would have a whole concept of reshaping their kids' conscience values. <laughs> okay, so we're, we're looking out for our kids. We're thinking of who they, they, they hang around with. We are observant. We see people with different values than what we have and how it affects their conscience. We're concerned about conscience, conscious issues. We're concerned about gender issues in our culture today. We're concerned about abortion issues in our culture today, where there's so many things, and there's people on, uh, on so many points, and they're standing there with a clear conscience doing things that are, to me, an absolute abomination before the throne of God. So where does this conscience, you know, how does it develop? Well, it starts with our family values. Every, this is where your child, every, every one of us, there's things in our belief window that go back to our children, to our childhood. It's part of our culture. It definitely has an our peers have an impact on it. That's why I said, you know, you, you kind of want to watch who your kids hang with and know who they are and this type of thing because that has a big impact on, on how they're going to act and put things together. The law of the land has something to do with it some, in some ways. But from a Christian perspective, we need to have undergirding our values that, that, that fix our conscience an absolute set of thing, standards that come from the word of God. This is what allows, we have a, a very floating attitude about what needs to be on somebody's, kind of an I'm okay, you're okay attitude. And as long as it doesn't hurt me, you can do whatever you want. Okay? And as a result, our culture is where it is today. And it's not, it's not getting better. It seems to be getting worse. And, and so, uh, and I've read the, the, the Bible. I know that ultimately it comes to a, a pivotal point where it blows up. Because man doesn't want the fixed values that come from God's word. So I want to suggest to you that our value system, I'm not going to suggest to you, I'm going to tell you, uh, the, that our value system is grounded in the word of God, we hold that this is the inspired word of God, using the literal phrase, God breathed. I started to say, if that is true, kind of like Paul does in an argumentative point of view, meaning since that is true, then I need to take everything that is on my belief window, no matter what it is, and submit it to the word of God and see if it holds up. And if it doesn't, I, I, I probably need to say, wait a minute, that's, that's something that came from family or that came from culture or that came from this or that came from that, but it doesn't go with the word of God. And I need to, and, and it's something that, it's interesting, God reveals these things as time goes on, things that, for me, that were not an issue 30 years ago as a Christian became an issue for me 10 years ago as a Christian 
uh, because I've matured to a point that I can see something. Maybe you saw it from the very beginning, but maybe I saw something else that you didn't see. So we're, we're even in our growth process. That's why we come together to encourage one another, get into the word, and to, to help us, each of us growing in towards the Lord. But this idea of conscience is, is extremely important. It has to be on a set of fixed values, or it becomes something that changes with the whim of the culture, the whim of the time. I was thinking just the other day, um, we're, we're in, the, in the framework right now where one of the number one issues that we seem to be dealing with in the courts and, and, and going back to the states and back and forth are the, the gender issues on homosexuality. I say with absolute positiveness, the Bible is absolutely clear that homosexuality is a sin. Period. Had, uh, I, it, it, it's, it's therefore something that needs to be repented of, confessed, and looked at as something to be broken and, 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 and brought into a, a, a healing or you know, before the throne of God. So I have an absolute set of values. It's no problem for me when I see an issue come up on a ballot how I'm going to vote. I, it's, not an, it's not an issue for me. But it's interesting, it kind of hit me the other day, the fact that we're having to vote on it at all. The reason for this, and, and bear with me just for a minute, I, I could ask you point blank, how do you feel about slavery? Do you realize that that was an issue in the 1830s, 40s, and 50s that was being voted on literally across the nation, state by state, in some cases city by city and county by county, because we were, we, the federal government was refusing to take a stand on it. So you had the free states, the slave states, you had the line that came in between, actually, the Mason-Dixon line that said, you know, well, if you're south of here, you're, you're this, if you're north of here, you're that, and all of these kinds of things. And what we did was we took a, a moral issue, if you will, and we, and we said, what's the popular vote? Now we look at it, taking issues from Scripture. There, if, there is no vote on what is right and wrong according to Scripture. It's already concluded. That's what I'm trying to say, I guess. Is, and we're going to the culture now, and our culture today is to say, well, let's take a vote on it. And for us as Christians, we need to, to, to remember that it's already a resolved issue. What does the word of God say? And that's where I will take my stand. And so I, I wrote on my note here, you know, one of the things that Scripture calls for both Old and New Testament over and over and over again is that we are to have, to desire to have a clear conscience or a pure conscience, or a good conscience, which means that my conscience is able to defend me with, and I'm standing there without offense. That's, that's what I, I desire to have. Paul says it, Old Testament, Proverbs, uh, we can go all over the place to see the scriptures for that. And so I said, I want that. But I find it hard to maintain. I don't know about the rest of you, but I find it hard to maintain the clear conscience. There's things that seem to constantly disrupt and bring conviction to me that realize I'm outside of the word of God in some facet or part of my life. And so now my conscience is accusing me. We're not talking about salvation here, folks. We're not talking about condemnation before the throne of God. There is no condemnation for those who are. We're talking about day-to-day -day walk with, and, and our relationship with God and things that come in between it, and we realize I'm, I'm out of step. The conscience at this point is doing what it needs to do to, to, to force us or turn us into the right direction. But I'm saying it's hard to maintain, and, I, and so I ask myself, why? And I realize the only way to answer this is to go back to the beginning. 
we're told very clearly this is a God-breathed statement that we are created in the image of God. That's how God started this with mankind. Created in his image. Genesis 1, uh, you know, uh, 26, 27, 28, long in there. And after he had created mankind, after the creation, after the sixth day, he looked at everything that he had created and he said it was very good. That means without flaw. Everything was in subjection to what it was supposed to be, first to God, and then creation, as mankind is in subjection to God, creation was actually in subjection to mankind. It was, and obediently so. Everything was in its place. There was nothing negative at that point. It was very good. And so I had to put to myself, Adam and Eve had a clear conscience. For conscience to be able to do anything other than excuse me, in other words, say everything's fine, I must have a knowledge. This is where they start to understand the word. I must have a knowledge of good and evil. Without a knowledge of evil, I have no way, there's, there's, there's no way to accuse me, you see. So I, I need this knowledge. But Adam and Eve didn't need to have that in their environment. In fact, for them, the concept of evil wasn't there. I'm trying to imagine that. I'm trying to imagine an environment that doesn't have me turning every other minute and, 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 and having to test my, my faith in some way. I realized, I, I just looking at this, I realized all the more than I, I ever have before that everywhere I go, there's, the, there's opportunity for my head to turn with a unbiblical thought or an unbiblical action. And they were in an environment that was absolutely free of that. In fact, they were in an environment that had the access to that information and apparently, I'm assuming at least to a, to a, a for, well, I know because I read it. Uh, they, 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 they were told, don't eat from this particular tree. There's two trees in the, in the garden in particular I want to draw your attention to, guys. There's, there's the tree of, of, of life and there's the tree of knowledge and good and evil. You can eat all you want from this one. Do not eat from this one for you shall surely die. And it says it's in your midst, meaning it's in a central location in the garden. I'm assuming they walked past that tree possibly every day. And it, well, I, don't, I don't think there was, you know, uh, there wasn't even this. I can't imagine a world like that. But I do know, just a side note, we're going to be a part of a world like that. New heaven, new earth, no sin, no shadow of, of none of that. I can only imagine. Gosh, I could sing a song. Um, There was a source of this information, but I think they, they absolutely, it didn't, it just, I don't think it was a problem for them to be there. I put it here, and for me, there was no interest until chapter 3, verse 1, Satan enters the picture. 
not going to get into details about the theology of Satan or anything else other than the fact that we understand he's a fallen angel. He, was in, uh, he saw himself as something equal to or even better than God. And he led a band of, of angels in revolt, and they were cast out of heaven. Some people think that Satan was angry with God because there was going to be a rival for authority and, 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 and God's favor called man. I think it's an interesting thought. Can't go to the Bible to prove it to you, so I'm not, I just told you, it's just kind of a thought. But I could see how, you know, whatever, that whatever triggered it, he rebelled and said, I basically took the position that he was going to disrupt everything that was good. So what was very good, he was going to do everything he could to do what? Make it very bad. And what better place to start with the, but with the apple of God's eye? The one that God had given authority to in reference to the earth. Can't sway God. But what if I went after the apple of his eye? I, can't, I can imagine uh, Satan being the father of lies and knowing about vengeance and how that is a part of that attitude and, and the father of murder and all of those things that go with that. I can see him wanting to take a, a, a punch at God <laughs> and this would be the way he would do it. You know, that's the, if you look around the world in a lot of cultures, that's the way people take punches at their enemies. Make them suffer and, and have pain and suffering by uh, going after their children. Satan at that tree, maybe they passed by it on a, on a daily basis or just laying, waiting at whatever it was, looking for opportunity. He's there. Disguised. Angel, apparently he's good at this because he can be disguised as what kind of an angel? Angel of what? Light. Okay. So he's good at this. And he's, I, I just, this is my picture of me. You know me, I have, I'm a graphic kind of person. I see him holding the fruit or, or letting it rest on the tree in his hand. And as, as Eve, and by the way, Adam was with her. It says so after the fact that she took the bite and she offered it to him because he was with her. He's there the whole time. He doesn't come up after the fact. The indication is that he is with her. But he, you know, Eve, look at this. Wow. Isn't this a beautiful piece of fruit? Tempting to the eyes, to the taste. Then he warps scripture, has God not said? And he asks the very clear question, you know, why should, he said, you realize God's withholding this back from you? This is going to make you like him. Isn't that what Satan wanted for himself? So if he can bring them down to his level, he's corrupting, you see what it, how, how sinister this is, okay? The, one, by the way, this is one of the reasons why the creation picture and, and story has got to be more than a metaphor or anything like that. This is what happened. I see him taking a bite of it and the juice is running down the side of his, his chin and saying, see how good it is? I didn't die. Takes and tastes. Hands it to Adam. He tastes. What does scripture tell us? Immediately. Their what? Their eyes were opened. The eyes of the soul to the conscience. Their conscience was opened. And immediately they looked at each other and they realized they were naked. Do you realize what that, the whole context means? They looked at each other with sinful thoughts. 
they understood all of a sudden all the stuff that, that, that was ugly, you know, and sin became a reality in their mind. I mean, it, it, it just, right then, right there, it opened the door. And all of a sudden they realized how everything could be corrupted to, to, to bad. What did they, the very next thing they did? They hid. They made some clothes, but they hid. Who did they hide from? From the one they knew that they had wounded. The one that they knew had authority over them. They hid from God. I was looking at the order of things here. And I, I'm just going to say, you know, for me, I write things now. Okay, again, Bob, what, what happened? Well, they disobeyed God. You know, and, and they, they sinned. They ate the apple. They disobeyed God. Okay. There's something else that happened here. And I think some, I've, I, I think I missed this. I, 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 I've never pushed it here before. Before they ever took the bite, what was it? God's holding something back from you, guys. You're missing out. And there was doubt. I realized what was attacked. Their faith was what was attacked. If I can just get a needle in under their faith, I can explode it. Because when they took the bite, they were already separate from God. I hadn't caught that before. And I came to that understanding how important in the midst of all of this, and this is just the, the first look at this for us together, and that is, is that how the ultimate thing that Satan works at against us to, to mess up our mind, to mess up the way our conscience works and everything else is to undermine our faith. How do we keep our faith intact then? And I, I, I'm going to tell you, I only know of a few things that, that, that work. One is this right here. Do you have the confidence that this is God's word? If you don't, then this is one of the areas you need to work on right now. If we can't go to this as our source of, of, of authority and values with confidence, then it's going to be pretty easy to undermine How literal am I? Yeah, I, I, there's a, there's a, I, I am a, uh, one of those people who even says it's a young earth and it has to be. Garden of Eden is a real event, an event in history. It's not a metaphor or a poem. It happened. This is why it happened. How it happened. And when it happened, this is what happened as a result. The faith of Adam and Eve were undermined, and as a result, they acted in their own interest, in their thinking what was their own interest, in trying to control their destiny outside of the will of God, outside of the heart of God, outside of the desire. So the things that we need to put into to, to picture here, the, 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 the reality, this is God's word. That God exists. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father revealed through Christ the Son everywhere present through his Holy Spirit. That he is sovereign, Absolutely. what Paul has been saying all through Romans. 
And tied to that is our relationship on a personal basis, coming through the blood of Christ, resting in his grace solely. No other avenue of salvation, including what you bring to the table. There's nothing we bring to the table. I feel like I've only touched this because, and, 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 and if, if I go the next phase, it, 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 I'll, I'll be less, <laughs> I'll have more questions and, <laughs> and, and than, than, I, than I will be able to answer in the sense of where I'm going with this. So I just want to start here. What is it that Satan is, wants to do to, to cause our conscience to be seared or, or not what God wants it to be? He wants to undermine our faith. And if he can do that, he's got a way of, of causing our struggle to be day to day without that peace, without that confidence. I know that I know that I know that I am a child of God. I have eternal life and that I'm a pilgrim passing through. And my most important relationship on this earth is my eternal father. Through Christ the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. That will bring us to the communion table this morning. Hopefully with a confidence. This is, you know, we rest because of what Christ did. He took what happened in the garden and countered it with his own sacrifice. Because once we had stepped away from God in our faith, there was no way back in our own strength. Downhill from there. God completely, he kept intervening and pointing and showing our need for his plan. And he finally brought his plan into fruition at the right and perfect time. It says that at the very right time, Christ came. At the very right millimoment, second, whatever, the, you know, however you want to do it, and, you know, he said, it is finished. And when we come with the confidence in what he has done, in faith of what he has done, we rest. God and his salvation. And as much as Satan wants to say, do you really believe that? We're able to turn around and say, thank you, Lord, yes. With confidence. I know that I know that I know that God of all creation is my Savior. I ask that the ushers come forward, uh, pass the communion out, uh, hold it until we've all been served, and we'll share it together.
taking this position, I'm going to bow down, I'm going to lift you up and recognize you as my sovereign. It's you who is thrown. That's the picture of, 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 of that coming to him as a living sacrifice. That wouldn't even be possible if he hadn't intervened. It wouldn't be possible without him moving ahead of us and loving us first. He loved us before we loved him, he went to the cross. Before we loved him, the plan of salvation was in effect. Before we were conceived, it was in effect before the foundation of the world. He knew he would come into this world in the flesh, become a man in every way, and suffer. I should be careful. I said in every way with one exception. Absolutely sinless because that was what was needed for us to come to this point right here this morning and he gave us the picture of him coming in the flesh by taking the bread at the night that he was betrayed with the supper at the meal with his disciples after breaking it and giving thanks he said this is my body broken for you and as often as you eat it do it in remembrance of me was his request we do so now cup of wine at the end of the meal lifts it up he says this is my blood poured out for you the blood necessary to purchase the covenant again it's that covenant of grace that allows us to come to the table together right now with a confidence the God of all creation poured out his blood said it is finished and it is done for us we are his no condemnation. Eternally he is. He asked us as often as we would do this, we would do it in remembrance of him until he comes again. 
Father, indeed we do worship you this morning. We realize it is to you that we submit, we bow down, we recognize you alone are on the throne, you alone are crowned King of kings, Lord of lords, and we realize you alone have saved us. We come before you with thanksgiving, and at the same time, needing your forgiveness and grace constantly. We ask, Lord, that you would create in us uh, that desire to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice as often as is necessary. And it may be more than every day. There may be times where we need to just say, oh, Lord, I stop and I offer myself to you. This is not the way I need to walk, or this is not what I need to be doing, or not the way I want to think. And just very quickly offer that to you, Lord, to be reminded. Use our conscience, Lord, to 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 stimulate that thought that we want to be a child of God every moment of every day and strive for that through the power of your Holy Spirit, knowing that there's no way we will strive in it in our own strength. Fill us, Lord, constantly with your Spirit for the purposes of worshiping you, drawing close to you, and being a testimony for you in a world whose conscience is seared. It needs to be woken up. Make us willing to be the vessels you will use for that when and, 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 and at the time that you need it. Again, thanking you for those who are in our lineage, if we will, Lord, of, of willing vessels that brought us to the point where we are today. Thank you for them. And now we ask, Lord, for your blessing to go forth and thanking you again for all your mercy, your love, and your grace. In Jesus' name.